Hello, gentle listeners, and welcome to Coffee and Tequila, the show for people who love stories and storytelling. I'm Alistair. And I'm Zach. That was good, baby. That was good. I only had to do it 10 times. <laughs> welcome to the Light Show, guys. We're going to be covering Bob Paris today. We'll get into that in, in just, just a bit. Um, but first, what are we sipping on today? What are our sippers for today? For today... We are doing gin and tonics. Oh, you got garnishes, baby. I, I tried to make it nice. I was going to make it off camera so that people don't see the cans, but we're doing cans this time because it's like pre-made <laughs> not cocktails. Making... <laughs> They're going to be let down, baby. They're going to be let I down. Know, I, was like, I was like, don't let them know. Oh my gosh. Now it's opened weird. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, if you guys end up liking this episode, make sure you share it. The best way to support us is to go and leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, leave us a like, a comment. We'll give you a comment prop. Prompt. Prompt. <laughs> I can't even say the fucking word. Prompt. 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 At some point. In no, the, isn't prompt uh, to we be have on no, time? At some point during this episode, we'll say, guys, hey, comment this. Um, that's the best way to really help us on, on on all platforms. It helps us to like kind of move up and get our reach out there and, and further our reach. The more the more five-star ratings we have on uh, the, the, the Apple and Spotify, the, uh, the more people are going to see it. So we're really pushing that here. Um, okay. Well, what do we want to cheers to? Uh, cheers to... Gay rights. I guess... Gay marriage, right? Gay marriage, okay. Let's do and that. our gay marriage. Because we're gay married. All right, so we're going to do the ad break first just because we want to get into the story and we don't really want to break it up. So um, as always, this episode is kindly being sponsored by Helix Sleep. We love our Helix Sleep mattress. If I was Kit, what did we say we were going to do? If you're Kit Hudson? <laughs> if I was Kit, no. Kate oh, Hudson. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, okay. We're always on the separate pages, I swear. We're never on the same page anymore. No, I remember. <laughs> if, if you were kidnapped... No. When I'm kidnapped for three days... Okay, look, ad starts here. When I was kidnapped for three days and held hostage against my will, I was sleeping on a cold, dark floor, and all I wanted was to sleep in my Helix Sleep mattress. And now I can because I have a Helix Sleep mattress. <laughs> We've had our Helix Sleep mattress for two years now. We've, we started with a queen-size mattress. We now have a king. It's perfect. I was sprawled out every which way the other night. Um, it just has so much size and so much comfortability. Helix knows that everybody is different and everybody has their own unique needs. And so they've made a sleep quiz that'll match you with your perfect mattress based on your needs. I am an all over sleeper. Alistair is more of a side sleeper. He likes a firm mattress. I like, uh, you know, more medium. We took the quiz together and we got the midnight mattress. And one of the best parts about Helix is that they deliver the mattress right to your door for free. It comes rolled up in a box and is super easy to set up yourself. And if it makes you nervous to buy something online that you haven't tried, Helix has a 100-night sleep trial, so you get more than three months to make sure that you absolutely love it. And if you don't, they'll pick it up for you and you'll get a full refund. Now, if you or somebody you know is in the market for a new mattress and you think that Helix sounds right for you, you can go to helixsleep.com slash tequila where you can get up to $200 off of your mattress and two free pillows. Mm -hmm. Alrighty, we're back. We are going to be talking about Bob Paris today. Um, we I had a live stream a couple weeks ago, and I was asking for topics like which topics you guys would like to hear. And somebody brought up Bob Paris, uh, uh, an openly gay bodybuilder. I was like, and and he brought up Rod Jackson. I keep thinking Rod Stewart, and that's going to really trip me up. So if I say Rod Stewart, just know I mean Rod Jackson. Okay. <laughs> it's an, 
Bob Harris was not dating the the singer Rod Stewart. <laughs> that we know. <laughs> that we know. Allegedly. Um, yeah, and I looked him up and I was like, wow, that's I've never heard of this. And I that sounds really interesting. So whoever you were that. <laughs> Leave it thank you so much. For, thank you for the suggestion. Um, I also really want to thank John P. Thomas, who emailed us. Really like, great articles. Like four emails full of just articles that he'd been collecting over over time, all about Rod, uh, Bob Paris and and that whole that whole thing from from when he's coming out into. I think the latest one I read was ninety six. 1996. Was it 19? Oh, that, that, that was the advocate, right? Yes. Yeah. Bunch of like vintage articles. And it was, thank you so much, John P. And that, that really added to our notes. So we had to like we go did. and it shuffle. It up. We, it did buff it up. It did buff it up. It was a lot of really good information. We're talking about buff guys. Ooh. Buff it up. Baby, baby. Um, yeah. Bob Paris, if you don't know, was a professional bodybuilder and he was. N- not only notorious for being like one of the best in his field in his sport, but he was notable for being. Was he the first gay athlete who was like active in his sport to come out publicly? I think yes. so. Yes, yeah, that's the, what the that's first the specification. Gay professional right there. athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be specific, he he grew up in uh, in Indiana, and just like everybody else, was taught from the earliest age that homosexuality was a sin yeah he grew up in a really religious family it seems like it's it's kind of that you know story of religious families that we all have you know the mother was probably was more religious it seems she was always like preaching about god and, and the, the grandparents are always preaching about god and the dad was like religious by proclamation but in practice he was debaucherous a debaucherous hoe it's a story as old as time. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how it was. But he, he, his family were, they were really religious. And so like being gay, he was always taught that the gay people are the worst of the worst of the worst. Those are the perverts that you want to stay away from, right? So um, he even says that he knew he was gay from about like 10 or 11. And so it wasn't until his teenage years that he was starting to understand what the, and put the label on it that he, well, yeah, he was Well, yeah, to come gay. out to himself. But he knew since yeah. about 10 or 11, right? Um, he his, his upbringing was, I noticed in like early, earlier articles, he kind of, Kind of shies away from his upbringing. Talking about his upbringing, yeah, because it was it was pretty rocky. It was pretty bumpy. We got a lot of this his upbringing and the, his book Gorilla Suit. Oh, we we didn't even go into yeah, that. We, okay. we, we didn't even go Just into the book really quick. Yeah, we <laughs> he's written a lot of books, and we we're, we kind of like pieced together a story from skimming all three yes. that we and that we did read. We read straight from the heart. You read straight from the heart. Straight from the heart. Um, I read Generation Queer, which is his Gen- latest one, and. and Gorilla suit. Gorilla suit. Gorilla suit was is, is the one to go to. It's the okay? most helpful one. All of them were kind <laughs> for, of like iffy to me, and then I read Gorilla suit, and I was like, hmm. I, I I flew through that. Yeah, I, I thought Generation Queer was going to be the way to go, but it's more of a philosophy book. There's not as like much detail about his relationship with yes. Rod Jackson <laughs> in in uh, in Gorilla suit, but he does touch on it, and it's Gorilla suit really is his overall story, and I think it is the one that's worth reading. It's a really good book. It's actually it was a really good read. His upbringing was pretty tumultuous um his parents were always fighting they were always breaking up getting back together i think they got married divorced got married again and then divorced again you know it just like was this constant cycle his dad was an alcoholic his dad was very violent earlier in childhood he really did uh show that he was he was quiet unless like you got him to talk about something he was really interested Mm -hmm. in right he was really creative really artistic he was super imaginative he had a big imagination so he was always you know going he he, he won national scholar awards for for art um and 
he was like super involved with all of that at at school. You could tell that he was kind of an obsessive guy. I think. I do you think know? he was. I, I think he's definitely an obsessive guy. I think he finds a passion and he like really goes for it. Um, but I also think he has fear of commitment or fear of trying something new or change. I just found so much, so many similarities between myself and Bob Paris. Not in any of the bodybuilding stuff, but just all of his sort of life experience like i remember i started smoking at like 13 14 years old and i used to because my parents would buy these big ass cartons of cigarettes and they smoked they smoked through cigarettes so they did not notice if a pack was missing and so i'd just take a pack and me and my friends would go to the woods and start smoking yeah um and so i i started that really young but he was a he was a hellion you know he was always getting into something so he was always like there's one instance where he like jumps on the back of a a wild horse thinking that he can just ride it and so he grabs it by the mane and he's like i'm gonna he he, he's always like again he's fixated on things so he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna tame this horse it's very flicka very like black beauty you know i'm gonna tame this one he was a horse girl (laughs) he was even bob Harris was a horse girl and everybody calls him bobby um during the book and i think bobby is so much cuter than bob Bob is just Bob. 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 <laughs> it's monotone Bob. Uh, the horse bucks him off and he like breaks bones. He's always breaking damn bones. He's always climbing trees and like falling and breaking his wrist and his legs and his arms. And he's broke so many bones that I'm surprised he could even bodybuild. Be a professional athlete. Does that do, do well, some like permanent it's damage also to your like bones? It has when, to. When you're a kid, it's so much easier to break bones and recover from it. Uh, when you're an adult and your bones uh, have lost all the elasticity, mm. it's much harder to get that back. Okay. So he's lucky that he broke his bones when he was younger. You know, maybe he should have been drinking more milk. He just like does the things that all kids start doing, right? He like starts drinking and smoking with his friends and smoking pot. He smokes a lot of pot in this damn book. He's always smoking pot. Um, and this is, I mean, it's very troublesome to his parents, right? They're seeing him like spiral out of control. They're thinking the devil's inside of him. And so like at one point he gets in so much trouble that he has to go live with his dad mm-hmm. when, when his parents are separated. And to him, I think he lives with his dad from this point on, right? He doesn't go back to live with his mom. For, uh, for a while there too. And then he starts getting into lifting. Yeah, he does get into weightlifting. So there's a teacher who sends him to the gym to get a fan in, in one of the back rooms. And while he's back there, he just stays. He just like goes out and starts nosing around and like opening all the closets and like seeing everything that's in there. And there's one door that he opens at the back of the gym and there's a, like, it's like a weightlifting room. There's weightlifting equipment there that like nobody uses. So it's covered in dust and like spider webs and all this stuff. And he's like, I can do this. And he starts going and messing around with all the, all the lifting gear, right? And he like does a, a full workout before returning to class and he returns to class with his fan and he's like all sweaty and like his back is all black because he was laying, you know, on all the dirt, um, on the, on the, on the weight bench. And the teacher's like, what the hell were you doing? I sent you to get a fan. He's like, oh, I leaned up against the wall. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, he's, he he lies to get himself out of some bullshit all the uh, oh, throughout he does, this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that really like spurs his his love for weightlifting, right? Like he found this and he was like, oh, I, I really like this. This is really interesting. It's like the next day that he's all sore though. I, it sounds like he pulled something too because he probably wasn't working out right. He didn't know what any of the equipment was like working, which muscles. Um and so the next day he's like super sore and like he can't even get out of bed and he just says, "Mama, Dad, I'm 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 sick. I can't get out of bed." And they're all like gathered around his bedside and they're like, "What the hell happened to you?" <laughs> it's I'm sore. It's a, it's the day after burn. It is. It is. Um, but he gets really obsessed with working out at this point. Yeah, and he starts to see some actual progress in his body. His body changes he, fast. Yeah. Yeah. He he's he's liking what he's seeing, and then. Um, 
he starts to did he look at the magazines first no so he starts getting really into weightlifting right and he's his body's changing everybody's noticing his body change he's pretty much sneaking to this gym that he found you know um between classes after school he's like staying you know longer after school to go and sneak into this gym and he's using this weightlifting equipment and what he starts to do is use this this equipment to figure out which muscles they're they're working right so he'll like do a bench press and see which which muscles he feels it like doing and he's like oh i guess this is for chest i guess you know a curl is for my arms you know very intuitive Uh, yeah yeah he's like super smart in that way right and figuring things out himself and then he just gets so obsessed with it and like getting this size that he starts going to the store and just reading all of these these magazines about bodybuilding and he sees a picture of arnold schwarzenegger and was like obsessed with arnold schwarzenegger right well he's like this is what i want he says this This is is what what i I want." want this is like this is the competition that I feel like I need to be yes. in. This is like, this is, I, I feel it right. I think this is, and he's reading all about it and the discipline it takes the, the structure. And I think that's what really enticed him. It, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it really attracted him towards that. And that summer he, you know, got permission from his high school football coach mm-hmm. to use the gym all summer. And he just works on it, works on it, works on it. And he gains about 20 pounds. I'm not sure if it's all muscle, yeah, but definitely well, a great deal of muscle. It's that initial like a boom, right? You start working yeah. out and you get an initial boom and it'll slow at some point. It'll kind of plateau at some point and you have to really like push past that. But you know, this was the scrawny skinny kid who starts weightlifting and he's got one thing that's going to come up over and over and over again is Bob Paris is incredibly genetically gifted. Yes. His body is very genetically gifted and he puts on muscle in all the right places. And it's just like that, right? It still takes discipline. I don't know anything about the bodybuilding world, but you know, you know, it takes discipline just to work out and to, to stay in the gym. But, um, it did help that he was very genetically gifted. And he says that plenty throughout this. His mom doesn't like the, how his habit of bodybuilding. <laughs> she like gets really unsettled by it. And she's like, she tries to discourage him. She's like, you don't do this. You shouldn't do this. This is, you shouldn't train no more. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not good for you. It's not good for you. But he wanted to look like Arnold. So all summer, he's just like working and training. He goes to work at the pizza place. He comes, you know, and, and trains. And he's like really disciplined and really focused on like building his body up. And by the time he returns back to, he even buys a gym set for himself at JC like and that summer he goes from, he gains, he goes from 165 to 200 pounds by the time the school year starts again. Oh, I thought it was 20 pounds. It was 20 gained. pounds initially. And then he gained another um, 15 pounds by the end of summer. I, I can't, that boggles my mind because that, summer's what, three, four months. So when he starts school again, after summer, he, he kind of starts to lose his focus on training a little bit. Uh, he starts football again, doesn't really have the passion for it. So he's not having the greatest season and he is kind of diluting his training with drinking and partying. This is the kind of the point in the book where he says his sexuality is really starting to creep up on him, right? Like, again, he knew kind of from 10 or 11, when you think back in hindsight, you know, kind of when you were starting to figure it out, but he was really figuring it out and, and, and telling himself, oh shit, I think you're gay around like 16, 17 years old. Um, and this sends him into a tailspin because again, he's taught that like the gays are the lowest of the low of the low. You don't get any worse than the gays, not even the pedophiles, you know, you might as well be a pedophile if you're a gay. That's, that's pretty much what is being thumped into his head by the synonymous. Exactly. Um, and so he's just, you know, he's thinking, I'm a pervert. I need to hide this. And so he is pushing it as far back into his mind as he can. And this is also the time where his sexuality, his 
his sexual urges are coming about, right? Because, I mean, he's a teenager, so he's thinking about kissing boys and, you know, having sexual relations with boys. And, like, he's fantasizing about that. And he's like, oh, I have to push it out of my mind. I have to push it out of my mind. And so he starts distracting himself with, like, drinking, partying, smoking weed. Him and his friends are, like, skipping so much school. I couldn't believe how much school they were skipping. Uh, they They would just write themselves sick notes notes. and hand them to the teachers and everybody was catching on they were doing it so often he was skipping he was calling out of work all this you know so often that his boss was getting mad at him and the teachers even caught on and were like you're out of school a lot you're really sick aren't you and he he ends up telling all of his teachers i have leukemia but don't tell anybody i'm keeping it really private just please don't tell anybody but i have leukemia that's why i have to be out of school so often um and then they get caught because they're out of uh they're they're out of school one day and they're partying at a friend's house and the friend's dad comes home and like calls the school, calls all the parents, you know, and he, <laughs> the German teacher asked the, asked the principal, how's uh, Bobby Paris's leukemia going? And so like that whole lie just unravels. He's just spiraling out of control during this time, right? And he's really suicidal. These gay feelings, the, you know, uh, all the places that he's lacking in life and he, he's feeling stuck. It's all like coming and bubbling to the surface. And so he's really suicidal. He mentions that he writes really long suicide notes and like fantasizes about killing himself and then he'll go out and like burn the notes you know um and you know there's the, he was he was going through it i i think that especially as a gay person it's it's something that's very relatable yeah so after he's kind of caught at school you know and, and everybody kind of knows that he's been skipping and all of that he is going to go to this party and he decides he's not going to go to the party so he finishes a bottle of jack drives out to a secluded area sits up against a tree and he has a shotgun and so he puts the shotgun in his mouth and he's like crying and he's fully about to pull the trigger and ready to just end it all he's he's pushed to this point he's like having so much emotional turmoil in his own mind that's it's so sad because it's pushed on to him like these yeah. these feelings right um we just accepted people maybe you know well i mean it's, when, it's, it's an issue especially queer youth experience a lot you know this is unfortunately very common yes and later in his career he does a lot of work trying to prevent um queer youth from from feeling suicidal and you know bringing them out of that that becomes like a passion of his um and luckily the gun doesn't go off he passes out before he's able to pull the trigger so he passes out and he comes to and he it's like a miracle he didn't kill himself. So he, it's like, fuck. He gets back in the car, he drives home, and his dad's waiting on him. And his dad, like, beats the shit out of him because he's gotten calls from the school, from parents, you know, all of these different things. And has pretty much learned that his kid is, like, you know, spiraling out of control. And instead of helping his kid and saying, hey, let's get you some help, um, he, like, hits him really hard. And Bobby Paris, again, is is a pretty big dude by now. You know, he's, like, six foot. He's, you know, 200 he's, pounds. he's bulking up. And so... He doesn't really, he like gets on his feet pretty quick and his dad kind of like steps back a little bit and he notices his dad has a little bit of, he's showing a little bit of fear, but his dad like quickly like bucks up again. And it's just this, this, instead of talking about our feelings, <laughs> he has to beat him into submission. And, uh, so they, the, all the, all the teachers, I guess, have heard about the suicide attempts. So they're all pretty easy on him. They let him like make up his work. Um, it's clear it's just so clear that he was going through it and he was going through such emotional turmoil, but nobody was really helping. They do like require him to go to a therapist, but all the therapist does is ask him if he's gay. He's like, do you happen no. to be a queer? 
And then he just like left the therapist. He just like doesn't, he stops going. He doesn't want to go. Um, and it's not because it wasn't doing anything to him. He feels like the therapist was just an asshole, you know? Yeah. Um, Sounded like it. He does like get another job. He goes back because he got fired from his other job because it just wasn't going. He gets another job. His dad's able to get him another job. He starts, you know, doing what he needs to do, right? Um, he starts to try to pull his life together again. But he does get fired from this other job because uh, a bunch of his coworkers get like wasted and get caught at a bar. And he wasn't getting, he says he wasn't getting drunk or wasted, but he still gets fired with the group of them. Um, and so he goes home and his dad is pissed again. His dad pretty much strangles him, is like screaming at him, throwing him up against the wall and kicks him out of the house. And so Bobby is, is like very close. He already wants to go to California. His dreams are bodybuilding. He's like, California is the place to do it. I have to go to California. And so he's very close to going to California at this point. And I thought he was going to, I thought this was the point he was going to go to California, but he like bops around town for about a week. And finally the dad, uh, he learns that the dad has been calling everywhere trying to find him, right? And, and trying to locate him. And there's just this really, it's, it's just this weird, like kind moment where he finally reunites with his dad again. And his dad, apologizes and hugs him and says, I love you and I'm sorry and I shouldn't have done that. And, it, you know, and it's like, well, then practice that, you know, keep keep that up because it's clear he has a lot of problems with his dad. And I think his dad was just very abusive, alcoholic, and his dad probably also didn't learn how to, you know, be a dad, a, a, a dad, show feelings, you know, yeah. like taken you know use words use words <laughs> um and so they kind of make a bobby moves back in with his dad and uh he graduates he graduates school and and <laughs> he graduates school he goes into the marines and goes into the reserves yeah he goes, he, he goes to boot camp and then he loses a bunch of weight yeah um a, a bunch of uh mass i, I should say mm -hmm. and then he comes back and he, he tries to get the mask put back on. Yeah, because he starts college like two days after he gets back from boot camp, mm -hmm. and he immediately goes to the gym, right? He starts going to the gym because he's been out of it for a while, and uh, he notices everybody there is, you know, bulking up, and they're they're all like bodybuilders, and he's like, I, I have to I have to get back into it, man. And so he starts lifting again and puts on a bunch of mass pretty quickly because of that muscle memory. Um, he enters his first competition at the college, and... <laughs> His confidence level in this chapter is like through the roof. This is these are so I understand that like cockiness and confidence and arrogance is is can be unattractive at times, right? But it's do you notice it's always the confident people who have like the most confidence ever? Like they can they in their mind they cannot fail and whatever they decide they're gonna do, it's like it not happens. even a question to them. It's like why would I fail at this? I don't think I would fail at this. There's no reason I'd fail at this. Well, Those are the people that are always succeeding. Well, they, also they succeed because they actually try. There's so many people who out there who just don't try at all. Yeah. And they obviously don't see any accomplishments because they're not try, trying to do anything for it. At the same time, I feel like if you're going to be starting a sport like bodybuilding, yeah. from what I've learned, you have to be confident. You have to be extremely confident yeah. and extremely egotistical to be able to, you know, you have to believe in yourself to be able to do it. You have to believe that there is no other option than just success. Yeah. Yeah. That you've already won the title. So he's sure he's going to win this damn competition. And he even calculates and like writes it down in a notebook. He's like, okay, so I'm going to win this first competition, my first ever competition. I'm going to win it. And it's going to take me about five years from this moment to, For Mr. to win Mr. America, America. And then that same year, I'll win Mr. Olymp or not Olympia. I'll win Mr. Universe. Universe. 
And he's like, why would I fail? Why would I fail? He's, he's quickly humbled because he doesn't show up. He hasn't, he like misses parts of his body that he has to shave. The, the world of bodybuilding is so like strict and, yes. and the, the aesthetic and the, the look and like the, how you have to shave every single last bit of hair off your body. He was not prepared for this, right? So he's quickly humbled and doesn't even place top six and they dismiss him from the stage. I think this is pretty interesting because besides seeing pictures of bodybuilding, seeing pictures of like yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and all that stuff, I didn't really understand what the world of bodybuilding was like. Whenever I heard Mr. Universe, I thought it was like, you know, like Miss Universe. I thought it was like... I, th- I thought it was a male pageant. I th- that's what I thought. Which that's in a I lot heard. of ways it is. Listen, I haven't heard of any of these um, things. I knew about the Arnold Schwarzenegger like bodybuilding competition, but I didn't know about any of the other ones. I guess Mr. Universe is not... Uh, Miss America? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought it was the other end of I it. I thought he was going to be walking out and he's like, he's so beautiful. And he has, a, he has like a talent competition and he has, he has a swimsuit competition. But one of the things that really attracts him towards bodybuilding itself is he considers himself a artistic person, yeah. but also a very physical person. Yes. And so bodybuilding is very attractive because it can be an art form. He, he described it as like where... where theater and you know where he could do theater and ballet and also be super physical up on stage and really throughout his career uh, a lot of times like his poses are referenced yes. as like the best poses they're ever. still referenced you yeah know, so he really did treat it like an art form yeah and, 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 and so now right now he's trying to find himself as an athlete within the sport. Yeah. He is has always been kind of a a big supporter of natural bodybuilding and not taking steroids and you know doing it on natural and then he's really uh supported and encouraged drug testing in mm-hmm. bodybuilding competitions and and all of that. Though he has taken Well, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't surprised because I watched an interview with him the other day being a proponent. He's like he's like I'm not going to say I've never done steroids. Yeah. But I don't think that you should do steroids to do this. And that's fine because I think that it's especially it, – I, I feel like you're a lot more knowledgeable having done something. Yes. Yeah. And then being like, okay, that's not you for me. You can't like preach against drugs and and – well, I mean, I you can take, preach against yes, drugs. You and can, not, and you not have done drugs. drugs are bad, but like, but, I would take somebody more seriously. That's why. That's why there's a if, lot of if like you knew their background, like, like drug counselors. A lot of drug yeah. counselors are former addicts because they understand it right and they understand. Uh, how it, how it is to kind of lose your life to drugs. Um, and so it is like, I find it really refreshing that he is so open about the fact, and he's very matter of fact in this book. So he does put forth like, yeah. Um, after I lost that competition, I was talking to somebody who, the guy who won the competition, his name is Will. And he said, Hey, yeah. Have you ever tried this steroid? And he's like, no, I just work out. And he's like, Oh, you got to try steroids. Everybody does steroids. And so he gives him steroids and he does like a whole cycle. And then he's about to do another one before, He's like, mm, but I want to see how my body works without it, right? I want to like kind of, you know. Push himself. I want to push myself. And so he does, and he doesn't do ster- steroids. I thought that was the last time he did steroids. It's not. Um, he's going to go back and do it. But he, he, you know, he really does the natural bodybuilding thing. Um, Which I think is interesting because like uh, steroids for me, I, I always thought of steroids as like some like illicit drugs and yeah. stuff like that. Which they can be very bad for you if they're not controlled. Like, but if you actually have a physician control the substances for you, help you balance your hormones. Yeah. Uh, they're not bad, but they should also, they, but they do give you an edge and any professional 
athletic competition. Well, he says what he says is that the steroids just made him blow through his workouts, right? Like in the heavy weights that he, you know, had a harder time with, he was just like blowing through those and just, you know, it was like super easy for him. Would maybe, you do steroids? Maybe I'll do steroids. No, I don't think I would because I, I'm, I'm I scared of the back and I'm scared of losing my hair and I'm scared of like no, my ball shrinking up. That's why you need I'm, to go I to feel, somebody and get him. But I feel like I would be the one who would get all of the, all of the side effects. All of the above? All of them. You're just, you're just letting it hold you back, Zachary. <laughs> you go get it. We'll try it out on you first. Okay. And if your balls shrink up, then I just won't do it. Okay. We'll do that. <laughs> uh, Bob is kind of bumbling through life at this point. He is, he like drops out of school. He, he tries two different schools and he just drops out of both of them. He's like, school is not for me. I'm just like bored as hell in school. I really want to focus on bodybuilding. He moves back in with his dad. Uh, he kind of bounces between his dad and his grandparents. He's going through a couple different jobs. He works at a gym at one point. Um, he's really at a standstill and he's like reached the end of what Indiana has to offer him. And he just knows he has to go to California, but he has no money to go to California, right? Um, oh my gosh, every Hollywood story. I, I love that, though. I love the older, <laughs> like, uh, the California stories. California was the land of the dreamers, right? Well, it, it's it either New was, York or California. It was I more, only have 10 <laughs> bucks, and I showed up with a beat-up car. Drop me at the center of everything, said Madonna. He gets home one night to his dad's, and his dad has, like, thrown him out and thrown all of his shit onto the front yard. And so he picks it all up, puts it in his car, and he's talking to his buddy, and he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to California. Are you coming? And But he's like, yeah, I'll go. And he's like, well, do you have, do you have any money? And he says, I got about $1,000. He says, I got 300 We will make it. And they, they drive their asses from southern Indiana to California. They, you know, sleep in the car at, at gas stations. And then they reach California. And they're like, shit, it is expensive here. <laughs> <laughs> they get their gas. I guess gas is like $10 in California right now is what I've been seeing. So, like right now, right now? Right now, right now. Yeah. It's like, it's expensive. So I'm back then, if they're saying expensive, I just don't understand it. I don't understand. I love the land of the dreamer, but I just, I, I don't want to pay that much money to live they do and they struggle they struggle so he's really trying to get into bodybuilding but like they are trying to find a place to live they can't really afford a place to live they can't afford a place to live because the the place they initially get is a week to week you know rental situation um, yeah they they pay you know um like a week's worth of rent at a time and then uh it changes the higher ups say, no, you have to pay two weeks in advance now, or you have to pay two weeks at a time now. And they're like, we can't afford that. So they move out. They like sneak out. And uh, Bob Perry starts living in his car and sleeping in his car behind the gym that he's working out at. And he's, you know, he is really struggling. He's, you know, trying to get through jobs. He's, he, he, (laughs) he goes through jobs like nobody's business. At one point he's working at a gym. Another point he's working at a body shop. And he always like a couple paragraphs later, will be like, Oh yeah, and I lost that job. I got I got kicked out of that job. <laughs> <laughs> but he he really is like laser focused on this the bodybuilding. And at one point he's like, I just might go back to Indiana. Like this is really hard out here. I'm really struggling. I'm fucking hungry. You know, bodybuilding is an expensive thing to get into. The amount you have the, to the eat, amount of food yes, that you have to intake, protein, like three thousand, four thousand calories a day. He's talking. Like, he's like, I have to eat like six or seven meals a huge. day. That's yeah. that's expensive, man. That's expensive. That's a lot of rice and chicken. Um, <laughs> and so he is like nearly going to go back to, to Indiana, but he decides not to. He does stay, and he's like, I'm going to just stick it out. And that was the best decision he could have made because. Uh, he starts meeting the right people and he starts meeting people who are in who like champions of the, of the sport. And they're like, Oh, you have to work out in Santa Monica. You need to go to the gold's gym in Santa Monica. That's where everybody's at. That's where, that's where, that's where it's going to happen for you. Um, there's one guy named Roy who is a, a bodybuilding champion and he takes Bob under his wing and really like starts, you know, preparing him to start competing. Competing, yeah. 
And when he does start competing, this is like two years. It's like a two year. I we're gonna like kind of go past all of the details of like his training because I just like. Psh. I wanted to know about his diet and work regimen. <laughs> Nobody else does. <laughs> if you, if you do, I, I, I don't think I would say pick up his book. Pick up the book. It's very detailed in there. You yeah. get the whole thing. But it's it's a very it's like a two year struggle. And then when he starts competing in these competitions, he just starts winning. He starts winning again. He's like he's like. His muscles and his build is like genetic perfection, so he is like easily winning these things. And it's uh, well, it's crazy because like he's uh, hounded, not hounded. What what two thousand six Flex magazine called him the most aesthetic bodybuilder of all time. Yes, they like crowned him that. And whenever you look at him anywhere, that's like the first thing you see: the most aesthetic bodybuilder, most aesthetic. And he bodybuilder. is really aesthetic. So Super I aesthetic, very I, symmetrical. Yes, and I I like his build. I look at his build compared to the ones who like are just like so shredded, right? Like so so shredded, and then yeah. like you see like every little vein and stuff. Like that. he doesn't look like that. He looks different in some way. Well, um, we we watched a ton of videos on him yeah. yesterday. And a uh, t- ton of videos of, of people comparing him to nowadays. Yeah. Uh, bodybuilders were uh, back then. It was a lot more uh, about like uh, aesthetics, a lot more about the physique. And now it's more about gaining mass. You know what I also found really interesting about bodybuilding is he mentions in this that bodybuilding, he mentions I, I'm gay, but I'm not gay because I went into bodybuilding and I, I'm not in bodybuilding because I'm gay. Because apparently I never would have put this together i just didn't expect this that bodybuilding is was at least back then looked at as a gay sport and that if you were into bodybuilding and you were into that sport and competing in that sport that people assumed you were gay which is so weird to me i which is interesting because he says that that less than 10 percent of the people he knows in bodybuilding are gay and that's a pretty just common number across the board he he said he he said that there's more gay people outside of bodybuilding that there is in maybe it was less maybe it was five percent of he said well he says that it's because there's so much focus on the body right and anything connected to the naked body even a partially naked body is you know there has to be something wrong with it and people find things to be wrong with it and because there's like a level there's a degree of narcissism that's connected with bodybuilding that narcissism was already at that point you know psychologically connected to homosexuality well the thing is we've had such a stigma for so much time in terms of males just being able to appreciate themselves just males being able to like dress right oh my gosh you're dressing nicely so you must be gay oh yeah. you care about do you remember when you do skincare do, do you remember in the you 2000s a, and everybody was saying metrosexual do you remember me, metrosexual metrosexual dressing nicely was yeah. just metrosexual okay. i'm not like, gay. how is met- was i'm not gay thing. i'm metrosexual okay? but it, it, just like groom yourself it's okay wash it between your cheeks but the thing is like i think it's completely fine for you to aesthetically appreciate another person and not also yeah. be sexually attracted to them. And that's absolutely. And it is a sport like that yeah. is these are athletes. Okay. Whatever your opinion is on bodybuilding, whether it's toxic or whatever, they, they're athletes, they're training. It is very like what you're seeing during a competition is not always how they look any, you know, in day-to-day life anyway, they are preparing for that moment. Right. So they are, their diet is super, super controlled, super. And it's like miserable. I've listened to bodybuilders talk about it and they all talk about how fucking miserable it is you know, preparing for a competition. And then when they let go of their competition, you know, they're, they're not as ripped as like you're seeing them on stage. Right. Well, it, it, it kind of reminds me, I had a, uh, a wrestler roommate in mm-hmm. college and it re- reminded me of, of that, you know, cause you, 
wrestlers have to be a certain weight at all times. Yeah. You know, to, and, and you see them bulking, cutting, bulking, cutting. And that kind of reminded me of this. The only difference with, with, uh, bodybuilding, it seems like bodybuilding is something you build over time. Yeah. It's definitely like five years. If you're bodybuilding for two years versus bodybuilding for five years, your body's going to look different because you're going to see your body change so much. Yeah. And it's definitely a growth that you have. So whenever they're, they're displaying themselves, yes, they have that artistic element of how they display themselves, but also it's the work that they have put in over the course of the hours they've put in over years of years yeah. of years of work that they're displaying right there. With what, uh, again, because I just didn't know anything about the sport and doing my research on Bob Paris, I've had to like look up shit about this board and like, you know, learn a little bit about it. And I'm pretty damn impressed. And it's just so weird to me that it would be connected to being homosexual when it feels so manly. It feels like such a manly sport anyway, or such like a masculine sport. Um, yeah. Cause because it's... of you're in the gym all the time, you know? And I guess that was considered, you know, you're, you're too narcissistic to be focusing on your muscles. So I, he, he puts it in a really interesting way. He's like, if you're not covered up by a suit and tie th and you're showing your body off, then you're narcissistic and you must be homosexual. Well, the thing is, if you ever see him outside of just being on stage, he's all the way covered up to his wrist. He is like, he's, he yeah. wears like big, big shirt. I feel like if you can pull off a crop top, go ahead and do oh, it. Oh yeah, do it. It's the eighties, man. Short, <laughs> plus, short shirts and a crop top. Plus, especially in the eighties, like crop tops, but that was guys mm -hmm. started the crop tops that, while they were working out. Like that was that a thing. Was back then was the straight man thing, right? That was, a straight, that was yeah. the straight man thing. Crop so why tops and short Bob Perry's, you should have been wearing that stuff just for us, just for the guys. Where's your merch? <laughs> <laughs> um, he does start coming out to himself while he's in California too and starts like accepting it and being like i am gay this is just who i am he starts going out to gay bars you know really getting himself into the gay scene um he starts telling people in his life so everybody kind of like already family, knows peers we friends. are covering a lot of open secret stories so he's telling his peers he's telling his friends and everybody seems to be very supportive however it becomes an open secret and he competes he he continues to compete and he wins uh, Do you want to go into some of his wins? I feel yeah, like. go into some of his okay, wins. Okay, so uh, just, just right before that, like Joe, uh, I'm, I'm hoping I say his name right. There's a, there's a, he becomes a, a real favorite of Joe Wider. Why? Is that how Wilder? you pronounce it? It's Wider. W-E-I-D-E-R. We're going to say Wider. He is, so he's a favorite of Joe Wider, and Joe Wider co-founded the International Federation of Bodybuilders. He also created the Mr. Olympia competition and started a few bodybuilding magazines that Bob is, like, featured all over. Like, he's plastered all over these these uh, bodybuilding magazines. Like, he is a star in the bodybuilding world. Um, and as he's competing in shows, he starts winning just Everything, you know, so he's first place in Mr. Los Angeles, 1981, first place in Mr. Southern California, 1982, first place in California Muscle Classic, 1982, who comes up with these damn names, <laughs> <laughs> second place in Mr. California, 1982, third place in Mr. America, 1982, first place in Mr. America, 1983, and first place, Mr. Universe, 1983, the same damn year, and the same and year those are that his he two said big wins. back then that he was going to win. He's like, I'm going to be Mr. Five America years. and Mr. He said, hell yeah, he and, did it. And, and, and like suddenly he's, he, I, at this point, he's a celebrity. I, 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 I saw his interview like right after he won 
um, I think it was Mr. America. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, right after he, he, he won Mr. America and they're like, what are you going to do after this? What are you going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to go out and eat. But I have another competition in two weeks, yeah. so I'm not going to go crazy. Oh yeah, he said we're going. Me and my family going to eat tonight, but then I got to uh, right back in the gym in the morning. It's just, it sounds <laughs> miserable to me. I'm like, oh. well, I mean, uh, but it's also like exciting for him because like, yeah. he's like, you know, I feel so bad for everybody who lost because I know they came in with the same mindset as me that they were yeah. going to win, and and, and it, he seems like a very good team player at this point. After all of this is said and done, he's like commented on bodybuilding and said, yeah, bodybuilding wasn't really, I wasn't really into bodybuilding as much as I was into like the structure and like I knew I was good at it. And so that really like kept me going, you know, I wasn't as, as much into the bodybuilding aspect of it. Um, What's interesting because he says that, but then he says other things. I know. Like, it's very conflicting. And I think that, I just think he's at a parts, person at parts in your life, you're, you're different. You do different things, but like uh, one thing that he's said before is that he wanted to be the best at something. Yes. So he says that pretty early in the book that he wants to be the best at something and whatever he finds that one thing that he wants to be the best at, he will be the best he, at it. He, he, he works will make at sure it. he's going to be the, he's the Tanya Harding of the, going to do the triple axel. And, and so like, I thought Mr. Universe was like the best of the best of the best, but apparently I think it's Mr. Olympia. I don't know. Somebody correct us on that because I, I don't know. So the Mr. Olympia, he competes in it quite a, quite a few times. And strangely, he never places in the top six, in the toxic, to, toxic, <laughs> Top six. six of Mr. Olympia. <laughs> if you're watching in video format, you get a nice treat. And if you're if you're not watching in video format, go over and check it to video format really quick because we're gonna do a quick reaction to one of his posing. I want to see. I want you guys to see the art form of his posing. So he believes that he <laughs> should have won the 1984 and 1985. Yeah. He said that he said Mr. that Olympia. in like a comment to somebody on on. Instagram and it apparently it, it made the bodybuilding firestorm community go. It was like a couple years ago. Uh, that he go said wild. It. it was like in 2020. And then after that, he like deleted in his Instagram and yeah. hasn't been like active but he at said all. He believes that he should have won Mr. Olympia 1984 and 1985. And so we, we watched his posing competitions. Yeah. He, he, he looks great. And uh, he said that if it wasn't for like the what steroid heads and uh, drug heads and, and like the drug heads and the bigots and the bigots, the bigots, the bigots. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of speculation that he never placed top six in Mr. Olympia. And this is like, again, this is like the peak of his bodybuilding, right? He was in fantastic shape. There is no reason he shouldn't have been placing that high. Maybe not number one. We watched a video where some guy explained it. He's like, you know, he, <laughs> he like analyzed that comment and he said, he may not be placing number, number one against at least this top guy, three. but it should have been top three. Right. And maybe that's his politics. So there was a lot of speculation at the time that he wasn't placing because there were uh, bigoted people and people who had prejudices against yes. him and uh, and who he was and they were not going to let him. I think at one Ooh. point, even after the after the magazine article comes out um, that we're going to talk about in a bit, uh, so he hears from a friend that the judges were at dinner and the friend overheard the judges saying, uh, Bob Harris has a Mr. Olympia body, but we can never let him win. He's gay. He has a lot of success and at some point he decides to retire because he wants to become an actor. So he starts going into acting school and like to, he's, he's built up a nice savings, nice cushy savings. And he's doing all of these seminars, traveling around, doing seminar tours to kind of pay for his acting school. Mm -hmm. Cause he really wants to be an actor. He wants to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, that's what he wanted. Um, and so at some point, and this is, we're going to get into the Rod Jackson stuff now. Uh, so Bob arrives in Denver to do this seminar and it's supposed to be his last seminar. And he's been retired for about a year at this point. Bob is kind of in a depressive episode as well. Like he's not really feeling the greatest. I feel like this was 
because he was trying to transition from something he was so successful at, right, and going into a new career. And that kind of – that can bring on fears and insecurities and doubts and uh, – because and that could send you into a depressive episode. You're right? also starting over again, right? Yeah. So it's 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 a whole thing about like changing careers. Mm-hmm. You're you're taking all the years of experience that you had, and uh, you're it's not going to help you really. He seems that he says that life seemed worthless at this point. Okay, so this is kind of where I'm I'm pulling these little stories from the uh, Straight from the Heart book by Rod Jackson. And it says by Rod and Bob Jackson Paris because they hyphenated their names. Um, we have don't laugh at that because we hyphenated our I names too. I think this book was. I understand the intention of it. Yeah. Um, it was so cringy to kind of read uh, that I couldn't even get through it, and I will get through it. And I think it's something we could maybe like talk about with you guys on a live stream or something like that, and just have like a nice little you know conversation about it. But. Is this how people feel when they watch our videos? <laughs> because I, 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 I didn't want to say it, but okay. like it made me feel because I, I, I read that he said, I love you on their first date. So they meet because, yeah, so Bob is at the seminar, right? And he's giving the seminar and he meets, they're both like, so the, every paragraph, every time there's a paragraph break, it's like one of them speaking. So it's really hard to keep up with two. Um, and Rod is basically like, you know, I knew a little bit about him, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really care. I didn't care. I, I didn't even think he was that good looking. I didn't think overly muscular guys were good looking. So I just didn't even, you know, pay him any attention. And when he came in, I was looking down at something and my manager had to nudge me to look up at him. And when I looked at him, it was just like everything stopped and it was, it was true love at first sight. And then Bob, I'll switch to Bob's paragraph and he's like, it was just true love at first sight. I just knew that that this was the this was the guy I was going to spend the rest of my life with. They say that over and over again. This was just it. This is my soulmate, and I'm not very I'm not very into or not too read up on reincarnation. But I knew that we had known each other in past lives before, and I'm like, oh Lord, man, this is Blanche Devereaux speaking. That's how I read it in Blanche Devereaux's mind. Did you? It's like we had been together many times before. Honestly, it it seemed like a very recognizable. It seemed like a very recognizable yeah. situation because I think that a lot of gay people, uh, queer people, mm. get into relationships very quickly. And we're going to talk about that. So they, Bob gives this seminar and Rod is like sitting front row, right? He's like sitting off to the stage and Bob is pretty much giving this whole seminar to Rod. And they're staring at each other the whole time and then they go out to dinner afterwards and they just talk all night. It is really sweet. It is really sweet. And like mm-hmm. the, it gives, it reminds me of, you know, your first your first butterflies, butterflies when you're talking to somebody and you're kind of into them and uh, they talk about intellectual things, smart people things like politics and books. And <laughs> what did we talk about on our first date? I don't remember. I don't. It must have just been life, what, right? What were we were just we just about? must have just, just it's yeah, just life. You just talk about life. And at the end of at the end of dinner, because they're in, at dinner with a group of people, and at the end of dinner, uh, Bob really wants to uh, kiss uh, Rob. Rod. Yeah. Rob. Rod. Rod. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't do it, and instead he gives him his card with his number on it. And he says, here's my card when you come to L.A., because Rod's moving to L.A. in about three weeks because he signed with the modeling uh, agency. And he says, when you come to L.A., give me a call. And they, like, talk once on the phone, and then for the next six months, um, Rod moves to L.A. They don't really talk, but they keep bumping into each other and running into each other, and then... One day, Bob's like, I just have to ask him out or I'm going to bust. And I'll be sitting in a rocking chair in 50 years wondering, you know, about my unrequited love. So he asks him 
to go on a date. And he says, why don't you come to my house and I'll cook you dinner. And so Rod goes over to his house that night and they just, they have dinner. They spend the whole night talking. They lay on the floor together. They make out. They said they make out for like two, three hours together. Um, and, <laughs> and Rod's or Bob says, I love you. And Rod's like, what did you say? And then Bob gets on his knee and says, will you marry me? No. First date, man. <laughs> yeah, that was really quick. That, that's real quick. Yeah. Who else did that? I just said, I love you. You did. I didn't ask you to marry me. We were walking. Um, sir. He said, you said you loved him on the first date. <laughs> um, it was, it's, it's quick. Cute and it's sweet, but it's also like I recognize it, right? This mm-hmm. is like you were saying, this is kind of the gay experience where you jump into relationships super, super quick. You feel you, it and you're like, oh gosh. And you don't really know if it's infatuation or it's like actual true heart stopping love, right? You mm-hmm. just don't know. And a lot of people like mistake infatuation for love and they like jump into something really, really hardcore. And you know it's because it's because we we don't get to have that experience, right? We don't get to like have our first falling in love in high school, and like the common ex- gay yeah, experience. We, we is talked not a bit that. about this in our last episode, actually. Yeah, and when you finally start getting into relationships, especially somebody that you feel like really, really intense like attraction to, then it. I mean, it, you you could mistake it for anything. You know, you could. It just, and the, but but that also does, doesn't mean that they weren't in love. Oh, that, and I'm not saying they you, were. You can always yeah. fall in love and fall out of love. And clearly, they got married and they were together for seven years. So like, it was love. It's just that is so relatable because we just do that. You know, we did that. It's just you you just do, and straight people do it too. It's just there is something a little bit more specific about the gay experience and doing that and uh, the queer experience. And I just I think it was so funny that they were just like from page one. I knew it was true love, and we'd known each other in many it, lives before. It, it was so honey covered. Everything was so honey covered that I'd, I'd 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 read about it, and honestly, like they got me to stand them a little bit, a little uh, bit while I was while bit. I was reading about them. So their relationship pretty much moves fast, and they decide like this is it. This is my soulmate. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. They're both wanting to make it in Hollywood, and so they, you know they're really their lives quickly, quickly, quickly intertangle. Bob was already wanting to come out, but you find your first great love and you just want to scream it from the rooftops. And this was them getting to do that. So Bob puts, puts acting on hold at some point and, uh, he has the urge to go into bodybuilding again. And I think again, it was that fear of like going into something new, not knowing if it was going to be successful or not. And he knows that this is like a tried and true career that he's already had and stability. It's stability. And so he goes right back into that and he knows that he's like, my relationship is already really turbulent. And, uh, I do, this is just a stable career and I know I could do this. And you know, Rod's not really happy about it. He doesn't really like the bodybuilding scene. Um, and they have like, they almost break up because, uh, Rod is basically like, you know, this is like a bastard of a, a relationship if we can't be out and proud about it. So, you know, why even be in the relationship if we're not going to be able to be out and proud? And so Bob, again, was already wanting to come out, and he finally found a publication that was going to publish that story. Because, again, remember, he had been going to different publications and wanting, like, trying to tell a story. And, like, it seems like the bodybuilding community was just so, like, keeping him under a blanket and, like, protecting that part of his story and that they would cut that part out you know any mentions of that they would completely cut it out of the articles the interviews um and he finally gets uh which which magazine is it it's iron man iron man magazine to to publish that story and so the story comes out in july 1989 issue of iron man magazine and the the headline is bob paris is true to himself i know it it doesn't say 
I'm gay. Like Ellen, uh, was was it Ellen that was like, I'm gay? <laughs> on Time Magazine, she's yes. just like, I'm she's gay. crouching down, and like, well, I'm gay. Yeah. Bob and Rod also got married the same month that Iron Man Magazine came out with the story. Uh, their families boycotted the wedding. They were not supportive of their union at all. They got married at a Unitarian community church in Santa Monica, California. They do mention that a majority of the of the responses were very positive and uplifting, yes. though, and they got like thirty thousand letters when this this story broke. Um, Bob kept competing, but uh, and he, he was still a really highly regarded competitor, and every that he didn't really lose respect in that sense. Um, but, but his business was cut about eighty percent, and he he took a huge pay cut. And he says that this wasn't really because of audiences; it was because of promoters, and the promoters were thinking of him as a risk, and that he wouldn't sell tickets, and so they were cutting business with him. And which is interesting because he said that every time he would promote, he would sell out. Yes, you know. And um, so he had to start balancing stuff out. And I, I won't say, I, I will say it completely jeopardized his entire career. Yeah. But it also opened him up for other opportunities like the Oprah Winfrey show. It did. Yeah. So this magazine, it led to a bunch of different things, right? So the bodybuilding community was not really taking this story. They weren't like other magazines weren't really covering it. They were all kind of ignoring it. Mm -hmm. um, but it did turn into something pretty big. There was a lot of of things that came out of this, right? The very same year that the, the initial magazine article came out, they went on Oprah. We watched that full segment. The full segment. That was freaking wild, man. We can't go into it all, all here, but it was a wild segment, so it's Rod. I think it's worth the watch. Yeah, there's, it's Rod. It's it's Bob. It, there's a, a couple of lesbians who adopted a child. Mm. No, they, one she already had, had a, child. a child, yes. The other one wants, wants, wants to, to adopt. adopt. Okay. And then there were a couple of uh, conservative Christians who were like completely against gay marriage, and it was... You know, Oprah was up in the audience taking audience questions, and Gloria Allred was there, and she was like screaming, and mm -hmm. she was she was like, "It's none of your business what they're doing. They, this has nothing to do with." There was she, like a pastor oh, there. Was, she was Gloria Allred was exciting and exhilarating to watch. If you're gonna watch it for anything, watch it for freaking Gloria Allred. She bossed up. She like shut everybody down. She was so good. And it really made me respect her even more that like, she really has always been on the right side of history. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I was, while we were watching all, all the stuff, I was obsessed with watching the, the talk shows, either the daytime or the nighttime talk shows. Yeah. So we watched, uh, Donahue. We, well, before that we watched thick and yeah. thicks actually took place in 1984. So it was before he came out. Yeah. And I was like, okay, what's going to happen? And then, has him take off all his clothes so and get and rubbed I down. He, I guess he like approved that before he went on it, but it was still such a bizarre interview. And Bob yeah. Harris like takes off all his clothes and they bring up like four female audience members and they just like feel him it, it, up. It, it, and he's and like, these are four female audience members who said that it's muscles are disgusting. And but they're all like, <laughs> they're, they like keep touching him even when like the 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 touching phase he is even, over. He even touches him a lot too. He's like, it's weird. It's really yeah, it's weird. That's weird. another really weird one to watch. Um, but, but, he also goes on Donahue, Donahue and Donahue at first was like he was a little snappy at them for a little bit and then yeah. like when people were like i, I couldn't tell what side he was i couldn't on, either because then there was yeah. a 17 year old girl who was like i'm going into college and i just don't think that gay should be out and proud because what is going to happen to me when i go to college am i going to get aids from and a doorknob <laughs> <laughs> and donna he was like it doesn't matter he's like this old man it was just that was a wild one too um but they really so their relationship is so public at this point that they really start it, they're monetizing their relationship, right? They are, they start doing speaking tours about human rights and appearing at pride parades. They they have this book straight from the heart come out. Or, 
What, what, uh, <laughs> what, what, the, the, the book straight from the heart come out, and then they have a pic, their Madonna a sex book. It's not a Madonna sex book. It's That's called what it Duo. Me of. It's called Duo, and it's a it's a it's a photography like coffee table book, right? I think they actually had another one too. Um, they do a bunch of activism work. They're fundraising for AIDS research. They have a foundation now. They're called Be, Be True to Yourself Foundation. They want to legalize gay marriage. It's really revolving around uh, their their image. So, like, yes, they're doing a lot of really good work, mm-hmm. um, and I, that's just so commendable. Um, but I think the conversation is – I think they got a lot of cri- criticism for monetizing their relationship, and it didn't read as genuine because they were monetizing that relationship. Ooh. Now, let me say <laughs> – we may not be Bob and Rod, <laughs> but this was something that struck me to the heart. And we're not famous by any means, but 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 we have monetized. I, we have monetized our entire relationship yeah. from year year one for six years now. We've monetized the relationship, and so I completely understand what people are saying when when people are saying that you're you know because you are you are like we made money off yeah. of our relationship. We put our videos out there and our personal moments some of our arguments and like we made money off of those things you know we had sponsors for some of them they were all you know had ad revenue and that can read as disingenuous sometimes so i get it um i don't know i found that really interesting well it it is interesting because like he's very whenever they do because we're talking about this now uh, whenever they do break up they're very they're mum about it yeah mum about how they they broke up anything uh anything about that it and we we had a conversation about like if we had split up, who would we owe an explanation? Yeah. Do you if you're if you are choosing to make your relationship so public and put it in the public eye in the way that you are, do you have a responsibility when you if you break up to to explain to people why you broke up or that you broke up? And so we were saying like if we, you know, we've kind of gone out of YouTube for a little bit. Like say in three years we were still doing YouTube. Mm-hmm. If we broke up. Do we owe it to people? Do we owe people an explanation? Do we owe people some sort of response to that and, and to address that? Um, so I think if you're still in the public eye mm-hmm. and if you're still... If you're still, if, if, if you're still putting if, if you're it out there like that, people part right? of yourself. Because in essence, we do give people part of our relationship. You know, if we're giving that, I think that they do uh, are owed an explanation not maybe everything like there's some stuff that you'd keep private yeah you don't have to tell but everything. like I mean, an explanation let people understand this and I, I i i i get where they're coming from like bob bob and rod i think the only things they really say about it are that bob says um it just wasn't working out because there was there was a question of balance in the relationship and uh, we were just at different points and, you know, we were both doing different things. Like, he's very, very hush about it, right? But, and like, I don't think Rod says hardly. I can't find anything that Rod said about it. I, I, I can't um, find out if he even exists now. Rod's a ghost. We cannot find yeah. anything about Rod now. Um, but, you know, I I do agree with you. I think that we would, uh, we would have a responsibility to let people in because we'd already been doing that and you can't just like cop out and say, oh, that relationship's done, guys. No, I, you, you're asking questions about why we broke up. Why, that's my personal business. You don't. We don't owe you that. It, it, it's also that, and I, I think one of the biggest mistakes they made. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not here to critique people's relationships. I'm just seeing it in hindsight. Um, is making this a perfect fairy tale. Yes. And I think that we have made an effort to let people know that our relationship is well, not perfect. Well, we've tried. Um. And I think that if we, if like in three years, on the flip side, we were not doing YouTube and we happened to 
get divorced. Yeah. I don't think at that point we owe anybody an explanation, right? No, I agree. But like if we were continuing to put our relationship in the front and center and let people in on that, then we, we do have a responsibility to them to let them know what's kind of going on. Because these are people who, you know, our viewers are people who like invest, invest time their time and energy. into, into what, what's going on in our lives, right? Yeah. And to just like completely cut them out without any sort of explanation or warning, I think is, is, is completely it feels, absurd. It feels wrong to me. It does feel wrong. Um, um, and so this was a couple that, and uh, listen, they, they did nothing wrong by, I don't believe they did anything wrong by completely putting the relationship in the public eye in the way that they did, right? Because they to be role models. We, yeah, we do that. We do that. There are plenty of couples that do that. This is, we are in the age where everybody's putting all of their shit online. There are so many gay couples who are, you know, putting their whole relationship online and we're part of that. And so for us to criticize anything like that, it's just like, you know, that would be so hypocritical. Um, I get that they did that. And I, I really, and I, I am really appreciative because these are people who came before us, right? Yes. I'm really appreciative that they used that to do good things. It doesn't matter if you do, it doesn't matter what their intention for doing that, whether it was attention that they were seeking, like they were seeking attention or they were, uh, like genuinely just wanting to be good role models, they still did good by what they did. Well, and, and the thing is we definitely benefit. I mean, marriage was legalized in 2015. Yeah. We got married in 2017. We we benefit from the people who came before us and, 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 and rallied for uh, legalization of, you know, gay marriage. And like the big thing was like gays couldn't stay together or whatever. When there's actually so many examples, if you look them up, there's so many examples of, gay couples who stayed together for so long and the thing that they were trying to do yeah and th th this was definitely in my in my head every time that i'd look at it he'd be like i am a gay married man i want it to be known that i'm not a single man mm. like he was scared that people would think that he'd be getting aids so this is another conversation stuff, because yeah. this was all during the aids epidemic as well kind of want to talk about the criticisms that they got not only for it you know it seemed disingenuous and it seemed like they were just trying to make money off of their relationship but also people were saying that you you are um selling yourself out to uh straight heterosexual you know conservatives oh, yes. because you are trying to like you know have live a this traditional marriage tradition you're, you keep saying you want a monogamous marriage that you guys are monogamous yeah. you know you, this is monogamous marriage and I, I understand that right because um the queer lifestyle has always been an othered type of lifestyle mm -hmm. right we've always kind of lived our lifestyles in in a bunch of different shades and ways and just like to the beats of our own drum how we feel like we should go right because heterosexual society we didn't it, didn't, it wasn't accessible we like, didn't marriage was that was not accessible to like, us so you know, we couldn't live that all of know? that it, 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 it wasn't there for us and therefore uh i understand people being like super against you know yeah. monogamy and all that stuff which he, he does say several times you know he yeah. supports any way you live or structure your relationship. Yeah, he's basically you know? saying just don't judge us for the way we want to live. Our, uh, we want to have you know yes. our relationship valid, if, and we're not going to do that for you. Um, they they kind of had all of the cards stacked in their favor. Um, I know that I don't want to discount any of the any of the hardships they went through. Right, I'm sure they got plenty of you know shitty male and a lot of like really you know sickening comments but they were a couple of really good looking white men who were cis, cis. <laughs> there's a woke term for you cis uh, not sis they were cisgender <laughs> they they you know were they had the 
aesthetic of like you know the really fit. So they had all the privileges. You know, they were yeah. the perfect poster child for you know what they a, were. What was yeah what, something that you know maybe white was more palatable yeah. for exactly the heterosexual exactly community. <laughs> I think they were like extremely palatable. Yes. Um as as the way they looked and the way they conducted themselves. And you know, they were a couple that uh, you know, bumfuck redneck in Tennessee, he he can't like, you know, call Bob Paris out. You're gonna call Bob Paris out, you know, this this um six foot two hundred and thirty guy pounds, with the body of a Adonis. god. Yeah, like are you, yeah. you you can't, you know, tear him down. Um and I think that in that way they were extremely fortunate and they you know I think in the Advocate magazine article that we that we kind of read, the last one that John P. Thomas, getting a shout out, uh, sent to us, they make a good point in saying that if these guys had been had not been as good looking, would they have had the same attention and the same, you know, sort of press and and benefits? Probably not. Probably not, you know. Um I mean, never say not because I'd, but like the thing is that they the had chances so not, much the chances wouldn't would not have been there you know and it did I, and that that doesn't take anything away from them like they were extremely brave for coming forward like they would one thing that i i i i took out of this is um uh bob was saying that they were not afraid of pda it didn't matter where they were yeah. they were going to hold hands and i was like thinking to myself i was like even nowadays in 2022 Zach and i we're still unless, nervous. I'm very nervous to do that. In public. Unless we're in a gay district, yeah, we do not hold hands. Um, it, I don't want to say do not. We've done it. We've done it, but not not frequently. Often. Like, not often. Like, kind of like secretly, or like people aren't around us or anything like that. But like also like I feel like when when you are a six foot something, two hundred thirty pounds of muscle. Yeah, who's gonna you, mess with you? Yeah, who's 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 gonna get in your face about it? Right? Yeah. It's just, uh, and, I, and I don't see, you know, I'm not really criticizing them for who they are, right? And being the couple that got the chances and the, got the, the press opportunities and got the opportunities in general, you know? Um, I'm just kind of pointing out what some people were criticizing about it, right? That they were criticizing, well, of course they're doing well and they're going to do well with this relationship. And maybe that's why some people were a little bit upset because they were like, well, you know, you put a gay Mexican couple on the cover of something or a gay black couple. And are they going to get the, the, the same, same attention? Yeah, probably not. Especially at that time, you know, um, they were just, I, I think the, the correct word here is palatable. And I think they were just the most palatable couple that could have come out at that time. It's kind of similar to when you have people, um, who have to do, you know, they have to, you know, fix their, you know, like, change their way of speaking, yeah. you know, in the workplace to be more pal palatable to their white, you know, colleagues, yeah. you know, it, um, and here th they were palatable, but the, uh, the, the thing is also, um, they were, you can tell, especially after the fact that they weren't happy for a while and they were trying to keep up this image yeah. of who they were and they were trying to be role models like long-term relationship And whether they were models. trying to be or they just saw themselves as role models or wanted to keep up all of the benefits that they were getting, you know, they still felt an immense amount of pressure to keep it together. They they were separated for about a year before they even broke up. They were living in the same house separated, not telling anybody, you know. It was – they were really trying to keep this public 
relationship going as, at, by any means possible. You know, they were scared of breaking up. Bob Bob Paris, I totally believe him too when, when he says that he was scared of breaking up because he was scared of letting down the cause, right? Yes. And that they had made the relationship so public and so breaking up would, would have been like a failure, you know, a public failure, a very public embarrassing failure. Um, and, you know, there's that myth that gay relationships don't work and that they burn out real quick and that everybody, you know, is infatuated and they fall in love really quick and then it burns out in, in a couple of years at most, you know, they move in together really quick and then they're moving right back out. Um, and they didn't want to contribute to that. They didn't want to be that statistic of it. They, they don't, they don't want to be the example yeah. that people pointed at. Be like, see, it doesn't well, work. Because a lot gay of marriage were, doesn't work. A lot of people were all, yes, exactly. Yeah. And, but also a lot of people were uh, really holding them up on a pedestal saying like, look, this is the example of the gay relationship we can aspire to. This is mm -hmm. the example that everybody that we all need to aspire to. Right. Um, and I think in a way they, yeah, they, they totally contributed to that themselves. You know, they put themselves on that pedestal and they sat happily up there, you know, um, and it came back to bite them in the ass. Uh, it, it's, you know, there's maybe this statistic, especially, and we're talking more about at this time, right? Because there were no other, there weren't really gay relationships that people had to like kind of reference and look to. It wasn't, it just wasn't that common back then, especially publicly, you know? Yeah. And so if the statistic seemed greater that, you know, gay relationships didn't work, it was because one, they didn't get to do that in high school. They didn't get to date around and figure out how to do a relationship, right? So they're going into their first relationship and that's the bur the big, you know, burning bright one that also burns out super quick. Um, and it just is, like, there's so many factors. Well, to and there's people around, like, during this time, around 70% of people still believed that uh, being a homosexual was a sin. Yes. You know? And uh, you have this public pressure. And a lot of times I do see uh, Bob talk about in his books, um, the way to get to hetero our heterosexual peers is to humanize ourselves. Yeah. You know, we're your cousins, we're your brothers, we're your sons, you know, your dads. And I think they made a really good point on, it was either Oprah or Donahue, I don't remember that, there was so much, and still is so much, like, pushback to queers, because these people probably don't know any out queers in their lives, right? They don't have a, a reference point that they know personally. You know, they don't have somebody who I, I would like to think with members of our family that, that we've, we've helped that, to open their minds a little bit, you know, having yes. a couple of gays in their family. Um, but there's a lot of families who like, you know, if there is somebody gay in their family, and I think they said the statistic was one out of four families had a gay person in it. If they did have a family member in it, you know, that person that, probably wasn't out and so you know their family was like oh we don't have any gays see it's not that common it's not that not this not that it just it was such an interesting time and it's so hard for me to think back and relate to that time because things are so different now and we are very much backsliding um it is, it's getting kind of scary but it's still you know it just doesn't it doesn't look like that, you know? It's weird because it looks like we're backsliding, but not but because you see all the statistics of like, there's more people coming out every year. Yeah. But you also see like all of, all of this legal, uh, attempts to reform stuff yeah. to, uh, really take the LGBTQ plus like name out of, you know, any public area. Um, but, uh, one thing that, uh, uh, Bob said that I thought was interesting is that he was caught between two generations, generation X and the boomers where he thinks that if he was a boomer, he would have stayed closeted forever. 
um, and Gen X, he was seeing with his generation of Gen X, if people to start coming out and starting to like actually be out and open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so their relationship just doesn't work out and that's okay. I think, you know, I think it, it was more embarrassing because they made it so public and they kind of put themselves as the face of like the perfect gay relationship. Yeah. And then when it didn't work out, yeah, that was embarrassing to them, but you know, they kind of made that bed and they laid in it. But I also don't think this adds to any sort of statistic that gay relationships don't work because Bob Paris right after this, like pretty quick after this, by the way, um, 1996, he marries, he, he, he gets married again. Was, did he get married in 1996 or was it 2001? Oh, I found somebody in 1996. He started dating him. I think they got married in 2003. 2003? Yeah. And even now, they've 19 years of yeah, marriage. Yeah, exactly. So there, he did get a long-term gay relationship. You know, it just, that was his first big relationship. That was his first big romance. And sometimes our first big romances just don't work out. It just, that doesn't always happen that way, right? My first big romance didn't work out. I thought it was, I was like obsessed with this guy. And I was like, this is the one. And now I think back and I'm like, oh my God, you were so stupid. You're such an idiot. My first big romance worked out. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so yeah. we're like, we're like, we got half chances here. <laughs> we're halfway there. Um, um, it's you know, just, yeah. And so I'm super happy for him that it like, you so know. He, he, he married Brian. Yeah, he's not a tragic story. I don't think Bob Paris is a tragic story. He married a guy named Brian. They're still together. They live in Canada. Bob is like, they're both really private. You can't find shit on Rob. On Rod. It's uh, interesting because he was Jackson. private, but also still led like a public life yeah. up until 2020. Differently though, right? Like he started you know. a website and he like posts his poetry and he's a very, so his generation queer book, I, I really wanted to read that one because I figured that was going to have all of the gay tidbits in it. It is very philosophical. I, I, I read it. It's kind of rambly. I, I, I would <laughs> okay. say very well, philosophical for what we were doing with this episode is we were really just wanting to tell his story or tell, you know, a version of his story. Um, and I am very into, philosophical ramblings and so i really do want to go oh. back and read that but that wasn't yeah. the right book for, for for this yes yes um and i really enjoy that he's like in a very philosophical mindset he's all his book is talking about he just does walks through the forest talks about antlers and and buffalo and he talks about religion and spiritualism and being close to nature yeah so and he's in a very like self-reflective deep thinking place right now in life and he's just writing poetry and like kind of writing you know short prose about his life and the flashback fridays and again he hasn't really done anything since 2020 that i can find like publicly mm -hmm. but it just seems like he's fine now he's also not huge anymore he's lost all of his body yeah mass. i think he does like more yoga than he does and i think he looks perfectly fine he looks very handsome still yeah like he's, he's still a gorgeous he's a guy. silver fox hey, he's a silver fox um I'm just really happy for him with how his life turned out. You know, the act, he had a little bit of an acting career. He starred in a musical, the musical Jubilee with B. Arthur, which is a pretty big deal at Carnegie yeah. Hall. Um, recur recurring role on Defying Gravity. It's just, I, I would like to think he's happy. I think he needs to write his book now. I think he did a lot of like memoirs and self-reflective books. <laughs> like points in his life where they were too early. And I would like to know what he thinks well, what he, how he looks back on his life now, and what he would have to say about the relationship with Rod, the the coming out in the bodybuilding community, post that, you know, I I want to hear all of his philosophical ramblings on, now. On his website, it said that he was working on two fiction no, novels, yeah. so and, and a screenplay. Well, this is the time um, for so, him to have his memoir come out, his autobiography, yes. and then they make a documentary based on the autobiography, and it's very tab hunter, right? I I could see a movie. 
There you go. I could see a movie. It should be a who's complaining though. Yeah. Or a lifetime TV show. Lifetime. I don't know. I, I feel like there's drama. Oh, you're done. You're done. Canceled. Oh, oh yeah. The lifetime people wouldn't like it. Would they? Yeah. I would suggest going and reading some of his books if you want more information. There's he's got a lot of a lot of books out there that he's written. Um, definitely recommend Gorilla Suit. Uh, straight from the heart, I am gonna finish it because I want to. I want more into their relationship. It's just so like oh. Our relationship is just, we're just soulmates. And and it's really hard reading something like that, knowing that that just didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't how it even played out. Well, and uh, we only read his uh, fiction books about his life. We didn't read any of his fitness books. Yes. And I also want to go back and look at that because I I know those have been pretty successful. I'm pretty interested in the bodybuilding community. Yeah, I I am. I I, kind of want to get uh, his first book and look at it. I have no interest some in joining of the, the bodybuilding community. I, I have no interest either. Bodybuilding as a sport has a lot of gay fans, and I think I'm a new gay fan. Are you moving this stuff for our outro? I think the, the, the fourth ball's been broken, but here, okay, let's care. set up for the outro. Set up for the outro. Is it still filming? Guys, that was <laughs> such a fun recording. I'm so happy you guys sat with us through that. And uh, I had a really good time. I had a fantastic time talking Bob Bears. We, we, we had really good discussion points, and I think that this was overall a very productive recording oh, session. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, <laughs> again, if you like this episode, if you if you had a good time with us, uh, make sure you share it. Leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. And uh, comment down below. And we will, yeah, we'll see you for the Monday show. We're still going to have a Monday show with topics and all of that. We're a little bit late on this episode, but we still will have the Monday show. Yep. See you then. Adios.